All right, welcome back to another episode of Flames at 80 Decibels, where for the first time, I have managed to coax the great Pat Steinberg out of bed early to <laughs> join me at the in-season studio, which is the uh, Saddle Dome Press Box. Not a bad spot, hey? Pat, good morning. It's good to be here. It's, Happy, thanks for having me on. It's, you know, there's not much going on. Typically, there's lots going on when you come up here, but not today. It's a nice, uh, silent spot to sit and chat. and Like, there's literally nothing going on on the ice. It's, uh, it's kind of cool. Not very many people get to just chill out on top of the saddle on ice surface. So pretty cool place to do a podcast. Uh, actually, the Zamboni guy was out a few minutes ago, and the ice was already clean, but I guess he's giving it another refresh. A little uh, scrape. A little scrape before the, the practice. Practice is coming up this morning, so to give you a bit of uh, context, season hasn't started yet. I'm not sure when you're listening to this, but we are on the eve of the season beginning. This is a Tuesday morning. But we have a good sense of what the roster will look like. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the season ahead. There's six months of hockey to come. This is not focused on night one or week one. We're going to look a little deeper. And uh, and here on episode 20, Pat's going to help me break it down. So, Pat, I had an interesting reflection day yesterday. Uh, my son played hockey with a guy named Sam, and Sam called me up out of the blue. And he's like, I don't know if you remember me. I'm like, totally, Sam. You're one of my favorite players. And he's taking journalism at Mount Royal University. And he had an assignment to interview someone in the media and ask them how they got into it and that sort of thing. So I went through that exercise. For me, it was a guy that was interested in sports. I went to university of Calgary, took a year of general studies, decided what I didn't want to do was take more of that. I wanted to focus on something. I love sports. Maybe this is a way to get into it. So I took journalism and away it went. For yourself, how did you get to where you are today? It's actually not all that different. I kind of really, at some point, discovered that you know, radio and sports is kind of where I want to go. And I started to host my own mock radio shows in my bedroom during junior high and high school. And like, I got really serious about my fake radio station to the point that when normal people were out on dates and hanging out with friends after school or playing football or whatever normal people do, I would go home and 5.30 on the nose every day, I would do my show. It was a half hour hockey show that I did every day on my fake radio station and Monday to Friday. Not weekends. I did not work weekends. <laughs> weekends uh, off. Wait, weekends off. And then, yeah. And then I would also do play by play. I would do some uh, NHL games. My radio station had had, a, had the rights. Had the rights to the NHL. Wow, big budget. It was a big budget. It was. And then, yeah. So I, I kind of did that. And parents were like, "Well, you should probably go and do this at school." And so went to Sate. Did Sate right out of high school. And from there, got a job in Grand Prairie and then got a job here very shortly afterwards. And I've been basically at the same place since May of 2004. It's been more than 13 years now that I've been rolling at the same place. Different positions and different, yeah. but but in terms of who my boss has been, I've had the same boss since I uh, was 19 uh, and starting out. So I really enjoyed radio and I really enjoyed, you know, talking about sports and it was kind of a natural fit to try it out as a career and it's worked out a little bit so it's been fun i'll have a state student probably what once a year one of their assignments is to talk to somebody and and so i'll, I'll usually do that with one of the students and, and every time i tell that story i'm like Oh boy, if I was listening to this and I was in their class, because I think they listened to all the projects afterwards, I'd be like, who is this loser <laughs> hanging out in, in his bedroom doing a, a sports talk radio show? So that's kind of how I got started. Yeah. Interesting. 
So there's a few things that I got to follow up on. Yeah. So, so what were the, like, the call letters of your station? Or was so there? It was an FM station. Okay. On a band that doesn't work. It was 103.4, which doesn't, you can't do. <laughs> it's got to be the like, details. Numbers, the yeah. details. And I don't know why I chose that. And then it was called Z Rock. And I don't know why I chose that either, but it was, it was a half rock station in the daytime. And then at night, it was all sports. It was during the time that 66 CFR was doing the same thing. I don't remember if you, I don't know if you remember that, but. CFR had the rights to the flames, so they had like oldies from two in the morning, so they'd sit all the way until about four o'clock or maybe three o'clock, and then Jock Wilson would come on, and Jock did sports talk with Jock, and then they would have you know, flames games or Hitman games at night. They played Jim Rome at night. They played some other kind of syndicated stuff at night. So that's how I got into sports radio was, you know, when I would go to bed, I would listen to CFR. So I would listen to Marr and at the time, Doug Barkley and then Mike Rogers. And then uh, whether it was Jock or Mike Stubbs or Mitch Peacock doing the pre and post game show. And they didn't have a call-in show at the time. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I would. And after every Flames game, when they would wrap up the, the hot stove lounge portion of it, they'd go to Jim Rome. And that's how I got into Jim Rome was listening at like 11 p.m. They'd start the Jim right, Rome show. Right. And it would basically have no commercials. And uh, that's how I became a big time Jim Rome fan. And so I modeled my fake radio station after their real radio station <laughs> model. So that's how I did that. So did you actually record? Is there cassettes oh, yeah. kicking around? And I think my parents still have the cassettes oh, man. In, in the basement somewhere. Because I would listen back to every show and critique myself really? at night before I would switch over to CFR. A real pro. Yeah. I, was like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like I shouldn't do that and that type of stuff. So I had music and everything. I was like, I was committed to it. And it was 5.30 on the dot. And when there were days that I couldn't do it, I was so mad at myself. Ah, <laughs> oh, miss my show. How could I do that? <laughs> I'm guessing this was a bit of a MacGyvered setup. Probably didn't have like the mixing board. You no, were... no. I had like a, a boom box that had a condenser mic on it. So I would record on a cassette there. And my music was played off of, I, would ha I had like a movable speaker on my CD player. So yeah. I would bring the speaker down so it would <laughs> and then i'd do the volume live and everything like so it was kind of like yeah it was very macgyvered to make sure that outstanding it, it was uh, i had it down to a science by the end i had like the songs that i came in with and came out oh yeah it was down to a science so are there things in your show today uh, whether it's the afternoon show whether it's the pregame show or postgame show that are elements that you introduced way back when I'm trying to think if there's anything that i not really. Like, I, it was pretty free-flowing in terms of the format. I basically talked about the games the night before okay. and then talked about the games tonight and maybe a couple big stories here and there. Basically, I just took the sports section of the newspaper in yeah. and I would, like my opinion on I, I stole a bunch of stuff from Jim Rome like yeah. I, I would if Rome had something the night before even if it wasn't related to hockey at all I'd somehow work it into the show <laughs> the next day so that I could be like opinionated and and <laughs> so I would like steal his bits completely and use them on my quote-unquote show and so it did teach me to be able to go with the flow a little bit more and that so I w when I got into doing like real things with real equipment and and you're working with real people in the industry it was like okay yeah this is this is how it's supposed to be it's a little different from doing it in your bedroom with your door closed <laughs> when your mom is making dinner <laughs>
<laughs> were your friends aware that this is what, or did you have friends? No, that's, that, that's <laughs> offside. But but did your friend was this like a secret? And, I, and I'll I'll give you an anecdote. I, I took accordion lessons when I was Ooh. in junior high. But I always told my friends I was when I was had accordion lessons. I told them I was going to hockey practice. And then uh, one day I was at the recital, the year end performance at uh, what used to be the Planetarium in Calgary, and and I went out with a five piece accordion group who were going to do this collaboration of a couple fantastic polkas and as i walked onto the stage not only were my parents there which was fine that was expected but my buddy's little brother took guitar lessons and i didn't know this so the older brother who was my friend was there and he looked at me and he pointed at me and i was so outed (laughs) see i don't think like my brother knew because my brother would sometimes come on as a co-host okay otherwise i don't think people knew i don't think why aren't you playing football uh, stuff after school. I, I don't think anybody knew that I came home and taped a half hour hockey show every day. I don't think that was something that I told my friends at school. Oh, yeah, yeah I got my own radio station. Oh, cool. We're, no, no, it's not real. I just tape it into a recorder and then listen to it at night. <laughs> not a good pickup line. Don't hang out with us anymore. <laughs> Last question on that. Any influences? Um, I mean, you mentioned Jim Rome, I guess. Okay, let me rephrase it this way. I know you've done some play by play. You've done baseball, you've done yep. lacrosse. Little hockey. A little bit of hockey. Yeah. Any guys that you're like really like, like icons from a broadcasting perspective? Well, I mean, certainly Peter Marr would be okay. the guy. Because I, sure. I grew up listening totally. to the guy and he was such a household name. And for me, just like somebody that I identified with because I listened to him all the time. And, you know, I, I remember I got sick in grade 12 and I missed about a month of school because I was sick. And... I remember like half of what kept me going was li- at this time, I believe 960 had started. Uh, it was still the team at that point. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, at that point, I w- it was Mar and, and Mark Stiles. And I listened to them so much th- during that month because it was right near the end of the season for the, the Flames. They didn't make the playoffs at that time, yeah. but it was right near the end of the season for them. So there's still Flames games going on like every second night. And then Stiles would do the Hitman and they were in the playoffs at the time. So I remember listening to them in the in the postseason that year so definitely mar because i mean he's such a pro and and yeah. he truly is like the best radio guy yeah. that i've ever heard do the job and then i don't know if there would be if they would be icons or or guys that i look up to necessarily but definitely jim rome okay uh just and i, I mean i just really enjoyed his show and at this point like I don't try and do anything like he does because yeah. it would be so easy to say, well, you're just copying Jim yeah, Rose. I would yeah. never try. He's got his own thing and yeah. he's so good at it. But I still I still listen to him even now and, and pick up things that sure. he does from a radio perspective, not a persona perspective, but from a just technical radio perspective. I would say, that's really good. I should, he, I, I should probably incorporate that somehow, the way he introduces guests or the way that he will say goodbye to guests or wrap them up. And some of the things that he does from a technical radio perspective are so next level. And then, like, I, I really enjoyed, like, Bob Cole was, okay, was yeah. like, Bob and Harry, like, they were the guys that when I did my own games on the radio, I was like, ah, that's who I want to sound like. I thought that they, they were the best. And I, for whatever reason, like, I, I don't think I ever, like, looked up to him, but I always seemed to, some of my 
big time sporting memories for me were always baseball games with Bob Costas. Remember when okay. Bob Costas yeah. did, and NBC had yeah. baseball. Like it tells you how long ago this was. Bob Costas, a, a couple of a sporting style. memories. Yeah, he had definitely had his serious, a very kind of like refined style, which I always found interesting too. Yeah, it was a voice that felt nice. Like it was, uh, it felt very friendly. Yeah, well, and I remember the the Florida Marlins won the World Series in 1999. Yeah. I think it was. They beat Cleveland uh, in an epic series. Game seven was great. Yeah. It was in Florida. It's like it was one of the the best game sevens. Went to 11 innings, I think, and. I believe it was Craig Council who drove home Edgar Renteria to, yeah. to win the game. And I just remember the the post-game rap that Bob Costas did. He did this thing where he, the words he used in a in a soliloquy about baseball, I was like, the words delicious were used. <laughs> I was like, that, and I just remember watching it. I'm like, that's really different. Like yeah. he did something that you don't usually hear, which I thought was was really cool too. But yeah, he had definitely a very unique and and refined style to his game. Cool. So there you go, Pat Steinberg. I, I didn't really introduce you very well, but I think people all know who you are. But hey, it's fine. Let's turn on the radio. He's always on. <laughs> yeah, too much. At two in the morning. At two in the afternoon. Yeah, too much. Too much me on the radio. I would say. I think there's. And there's probably limits to how much people would want to listen to me on the radio. Some of those days are long. <laughs> no kidding. So this is normally the part where I would get into my sponsor, but hmm, seems that the podcast is for hire. So uh, if you're interested in uh, maybe uh, backing the podcast, maybe backing the website, we're in a time of transition with Flames from 80 feet and Flames at 80 decibels. Emails Haynes at Shaw.ca. If you're interested, uh, shoot me a line and uh, let me know how interested you are, and we'll we'll talk some business. It's a little bit of a transition broker link. I wanted to give a big shout. Shout out to them. They've been really good over the last three or four years, just moving in a different direction, which happens in business, which is opportunity for someone else and maybe multiple others. So yeah, just email me if you're interested and we'll uh, connect and talk shop. All right, so... We were supposed to do this podcast yesterday, and as Pat and I were kind of lining it up <laughs> on Sunday night, a lot of our text back and forth ended in question marks. Should we still do it? Have you heard of the news about Jaeger? Do you think it will happen? We've been talking about Jaeger for months. I just kind of assumed it was same old, same old Jaeger. Quickly, it turned to be a little bit more heat, a little bit more smoke. And sure enough, good thing we didn't uh, do it yesterday morning, Monday morning, because we would have been outdated by the time the <laughs> afternoon hit. Yeah. So I guess in this first segment where I kind of want to look at the roster and how it will, may start and how it will evolve, I think we're the same mindset. We kind of see him as a third liner to start. Is that fair? I think that's where we see him start. Yeah, I think there's that natural fit on the right side with, with Sam Bennett and Christopher Stieg. And I just think that that has so many really cool possibilities. You're like, geez, for Stieg, who's been looked so good in the preseason. I was talking about this with a, a couple people a couple days ago. If Christopher Stieg had high-end skating... Like we could be talking about him, his point totals could be so much higher than than what we've seen. But you know, as he's admitted many times, skating's never really been his strong suit. So especially now at the age of thirty two, I think he his hands are next level. Oh. Like he, he is ridiculous. He might be. Everybody points to Gaudreau and says, "I think Versteeg's hands might be the best on the team," and that's saying something. Knowing that Gaudreau is part of it, right? And did you know that? Just to, to sidebar there, that was the one thing that I had no idea. 
I had no idea until he was right here in her nose that he had that kind of skill. I don't think I knew either until you see it watching from 80 feet like we do. And you're kind of you're, you're, you're watching. You're like, Holy cow. He just did that with three guys around him. And, and the, the way that he, his escape ability and his ability to still get passes either two areas or two guys when, when he's got so much coverage on him it's ridiculous so i look at him and and you combine that with bennett and you know we know bennett is progressing and and evolving and and i think we're all expecting him to take some steps in year number three and then you put yager on that line and i'm not saying yager is what he was even five years ago but coming off a year where he had 46 points he played all 82 games he still is a clearly an NHL forward and even at the age of 45 is better than a lot of options on a lot of teams and specifically on this team where they're so thin on the right side it just it seemed for the longest time like a natural fit and then you see the preseason unfold and nobody jumps off the page on the right side you're like Okay, well, if it wasn't a natural fit before in your mind, it has to be now. And I think that's what happened. And they said, okay, uh, as I understand it, they've been talking back and forth yeah. since July. Yeah. So eventually they said, okay, let's wrap this up. We need somebody to, to come in and play. And I don't know if there's, other than making a trade where you might have to give up assets that you don't want to, I don't know if there's a, a, a right winger that you can bring in to slot in so seamlessly or potentially seamlessly uh, for free like you've got in Yager. I, don't, I, I can't think of anybody else who would be able to make a bigger impact without giving up anything as opposed to Yager. And what you've done as well is you've brought the price down. Like if you're signing Yager, yeah. on, you're chasing him July 1st. You're not getting him for $1 million plus bonuses. I mean, he made four last year. Yeah. Right. So, so the price came down. You also, the met, there's not a bad message to the organization. You didn't, you're not stunting the growth of, of someone on that wing to bring in Jaeger. They had the chance. Like one. Yeah, they were given the opportunity. Right. right? And, And no production in the preseason. And it was a big need. So absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. At one million a year plus bonuses. You would think that the expectation has been set that he's not playing 21 minutes a night on the top line. I I would think his expectations, which you always have to manage with a veteran player, I would think that conversation has been had. What about power play? Where do you see him slotting in? I think we see him get power play minutes. I think that we exactly. And I mean, they, At Furland's expense, maybe? Whether it's Furland on the number one unit or maybe they tweak the number two unit and have, you know, as opposed to having Froelich there, you maybe put Yager there with Backlund and Kachuk or something like that. I mean, I think there's options. And I also think that while we see him as a third liner to start, at some point, he's going to play with Gaudreau and Monaghan. At some point, whether it's just to shake things up in a sure. game because they're losing 4 nothing and there's no offense being created and we'll be sitting here at the Dome and somebody will notice it and tweet, oh, Yager playing with Gaudreau and Monaghan. Or whether it's, you know, they're in the middle of a losing streak. Or injuries. Or an injury pops up. Or Furland just isn't worth Like, there's so many different permutations yeah. that you see over 82 games. I think for sure at some point Yaku's going to play with them. And, and I think for sure he'll probably at some point get some time on the number one power play unit and the number two power play unit. Like he was, even though his point totals weren't gouty last year, remember he did not have Barkov and he did not have Huberto on his yeah. line for a good chunk. He was still one of the most productive forwards on the Panthers last year. His five on five possession was number two. His five on five production in terms of uh, how he was creating points was number five on the team like 
he was still one of their most effective forwards last year. So I think coming to a, a new team with some familiarity with the head coach and being put in a position where he can succeed, I think we can see him get back to 46, 50 points easily again. Yeah, with aging players, I mean, I had a chance to play rec hockey with Colin Patterson at about the same age. And you would have thought just from watching him play ice level, the hand's still there that he was a 50-goal scorer, the way he could let that puck go up. That ability to shoot, the ability to get the puck, hold the puck. He's a big dude. Like yep. Jaeger is a big dude. Those are still going to be there. He might be a little slower catching up on the play on the rush. But once you get set up in the power play, like yep. it just seems like, wow, like how could this not work, right? So really curious to see how that plays out. And you're right, though. We get so caught up in wanting what will it look like on opening night, that finality. <laughs> Like, it changes so much and so many times during the season for all those factors that you mentioned. Well, I remember year one for Bob Hartley. We They were doing their final practice of the year after training camp, and it was a stunted training camp because it was the lockout year. And I remember you're sitting there and, and getting ready for the year, and TJ Brody's a healthy scratch in game, game one. one. You're like, you're like, what is he doing? And with game two he was in, I don't think he missed another game for the rest of the year. But I think there were some pretty big changes in, I mean, I believe the... That was the, sh- the lockout shortened year, yeah. And yeah, Bowman exactly. got dealt at the deadline, and so by the end of the year, Brody was playing like 27 minutes. Exactly. That was kind of his big opportunity and when he really started to, to evolve. But I even go back to last year in Gullitson's first year. I believe one of the night one lines was Bennett, Kachuk, and Brower. Yeah. And that lasted all of nine games until they finally put together Kachuk, Backlund, and Froelich. And then that stayed together for the next 70 games or whatever it was. But yeah, lines on night one or lines that you see in training camp don't necessarily carry over the entire season, let alone into November sometimes. And I think with Yager coming in, it gives you the potential to, if you need to, if things aren't working, if you're looking to spark something, if if the success that you saw between certain pairings or lines last year isn't carrying over to this year, you've got options. You can yeah. you can shake things around. I think that you you know the the whole Bennett to the wing conversation I think is still in play. And and what about you know moving Kachuk around? Does he need to play with Backlund and Froelich? And can you move him different places? I think it gives you options. And now that you've got truly a top nine. I don't think Lazar or Brower on the right side with Bennett and, and Versteeg you didn't really have a top nine because no. those guys were just there because they had to be there. Whereas now I think with Yager, you've got a true top nine yeah, forward. Yeah, it feels like your nine has separated. Exactly. Itself. And and so then I think you can do some mixing and matching there. Yeah, I had a good chat with uh, Gullitson back in Penticton and he was talking about how you know, you go into the season, you, you you read about the players, you learned about them, what you saw. And then he said, once he really got to f- behind the bench and a feel for how they, he's like, I would never have started with the line combinations yeah. I started with. And it's, it's, that was an inevitable kind of learning curve that you just can't skip. Like that's just part of being a new coach in a new market. You've got to know your personnel. And, and sometimes there's guys that play well together and there's other guys that should, but they just don't. Right. Um, so this year there might be a little, less instability to start the year because they do have some established trios but yeah like let's just investigate that for a bit so what happens if uh Furlan doesn't work out or what happens if they're trying to kickstart some other lines and Kachuk is a candidate we know that spot with Backlund and for league seems to be a place to put the prize employee that you're either trying to help flourish or get someone kickstarted or yep. whatever it feels like if you look at these top nine 
what about Monahan? What, like, what about seeing Bennett back with Goudreau? Like, that certainly was one game experiment in the preseason. You should never ever make decisions based yeah. on September single game experiments. But there certainly seemed a lot of intrigue there. And well, what if it was Monahan and Ferlin and Kachuk, or and it was Bennett and Goudreau and somebody? Like, there's lots of what is kind of version 2.0 of the lines as you see it. What are some of the combinations you'd like to see? Well, for me, I am fascinated still, and I know that the, the team has a different view of it right now, but I still think Bennett on the wing in the top six helps you more, especially if Jankowski is yeah. is able if to... push pushes it. Exactly. Pushes his way if, he, in. if he can push his way in, and all of a sudden now you've got Jankowski playing with Versteeg and somebody else, whether it's Yager or somebody else, then all of a sudden, or, or maybe it's Furland, then you can put Bennett on the top line and have him with Monaghan and Gaudreau. And we've seen that in very small kind of fits yeah. and starts, but never for a extended period of time. I've watched Bennett now for two full seasons. And while I think he's taken big strides as a center iceman, I still think that watching him play center right now, he sometimes is a little bit behind the play. And and what I, what I mean by that is like he his thinking of it isn't necessarily at the same speed as the play is going. Right. And and you'll see because especially on the attack. Like defensively, I think he's fine. But but on the attack, kind of the primary job of a center in a lot of ways is when you enter the zone, usually the puck's on your stick. And when you enter the zone, you cross that blue line and you got to make a quick decision. You either dump to the corner or you find your outlet on the left or right side or you carry in and you start a cycle, whatever it may be. And I found that so many times he enters the blue line, all of a sudden his, his zone entry is successful, but then immediately he's converged upon and you've got to make that snap second decision and he it's not quick enough and so by the time he decides to go past to his line mate they've already curled back and next thing you know it's it's a turnover and the other team gets the puck back and and they can swing it up the ice or just regroup and and it kind of negates the effectiveness of that zone entry so but on the wing he doesn't have to think about that as much on the wing you know whether it's backland or monahan or whoever they're doing that and fly in exactly and then all of a sudden he can be the outlet and he can be the guy starting the cycle or he can get the chance off the the left or the right side and i just think offensively for him it puts him into a different category as to how effective he can be and i think if if he's scoring and he's giving them help at a position that they are still pretty thin in, Yager coming in helps that. But if they get injuries, then all of a sudden they might be thin yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. You lose I, someone out of that top nine, and maybe Jankowski bumps up. Because they they have depth at center they didn't have a year ago, right? Absolutely. So it was harder to move Bennett when you don't have a replacement for him. It's Jankowski, if he continues on the path he's on, the trajectory he's on, he makes it a lot easier to move Bennett. And I don't think Bennett might. I think Bennett loves when he – there was a smile there after the game talking about playing with Goudreau. I think he would relish the opportunity to play with that kind of line mates, and he would do it on the wing in a heartbeat. And I think that he – and I'm not saying that him as the number three center doesn't help the team. I just wonder if you can make the argument that him as your top line right winger helps the team more than him as the number three center. And how many guys – I mean, there's plenty. I mean, Sagan's a perfect example of guys who – Dreisaitl, who have played the wing – and then move back. I mean, Dreisaitl put up his, whatever, 75, 77 points last year, primarily as a right winger, right? Yeah. And now he's going into this season with the Oilers as their number two center behind McDavid. But, you know, if you're Bennett, you're like, okay, well, you play the wing for a little bit. 
and two years down the road. Yeah, nothing's when, forever. Exactly. Twenty-one. Exactly. Right. That's when you talk about 2.0, that still to me is the number one place that I go. But the other thing is, you may, you mentioned it, that backland Froelich combination, you can put anybody there. So if you if you want to move Kachuk to the off wing and play him on the right side, you can do that. If you want to juggle things up, put somebody else with Froelich and Backlund, Who would I think you like you've got that opportunity. Like, could they use it to try and extract something out of these guys we're not mentioning? Lazar? <laughs> yeah. That would be the one that, I mean, look what they did for Boma. Look what they did for Colburn. Yeah. I think that it would be an interesting road to go down for yeah. sure. Because Lazar has not impressed the way that everybody hoped he yeah. would in this year's training yeah, camp. Agreed. Yeah, that that is. Uh, and, and it's not something they need to do right now, but maybe it becomes something. You know, let's say they lose two out of that top nine. Well, yeah. now you're trying to find a little bit of um, magic, I guess. And, and that 1167 seemed to be able to carry a line on their own. Can you sneak someone from the fourth line yeah, on there and not elevate miss a beat? Them. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, Ferland is is a guy to watch. I think um, he seems like someone that if Jankowski pushes his way in, and maybe um, you know Bennett moves to a wing, you Furlan could be on the old. Uh, uh, slide from the first line to the fourth line in no time. Maybe not even because of his own poor play, but that just might be. It's not a bad spot ultimately for his game. Like I know where he's at right now. They like what he brings there, but long term, if the team is as deep as they want to be, maybe he is a bottom six guy. Well, and when Furlan was a bottom six guy last year, prior to him moving up with Gaudreau and Monaghan for 21 games they played together, it was that game in Nashville yeah. where they ended up winning in a shootout, but they, they had the 5-1 lead or whatever it yeah. was. And, but that was the first game that Furlan played with those guys. And the 21 games that he played until the end of the regular season, it was good. You know, he was able to score a little bit uh, and he looked like a nice foil for those two. And their point totals went up too. Like it seemed like once Furlan got there, they had some of their best success too. But if it doesn't work out, him going back as a bottom six forward, he was effective as a bottom yep. six guy last year. His points weren't great. No, nope. but and they I th- won't be. The ice time will come down. Come down and but, the opportunity. You're not yeah. playing with Gaudreau and Monaghan. Yeah. You're playing with different. But he was still an effective two way forward. He was good defensively. He was good on the cycle. He was physical. Like I really liked Furland's season as a whole, not just the one quarter where he was playing with those guys. So I think if that is the case, like if you, you know, if if you've got injuries. Or you're doing some juggling. You know, if you were to put Furland with, you know, I was thinking about this, like what Bennett before Yager signed. But if you've got Bennett as your third line center, I don't think Bennett, Versteeg and, and Furland's a bad combination at all. I think you can play those and I think it'd be an effective sure. third line. So I do like the versatility of yeah. some of these forwards they've got with Versteeg, with Furland, yeah. uh, with potentially Bennett. And I think there's some versatility Kachuk. There's some versatility as to where you can move these guys. And I think that they can play in different spots. And Even the left-right thing. Like Versteeg, Furland are exactly. both playing off wing and you almost forget about it. Especially well, with Versteeg. And, and if they if they can slot in and do that, then all of a sudden, yeah, you can mix and match where where you need to. And because I think they're just effective forwards, they can, you know, if you put one in an offensive role, great. But if one's got to go down and be in more of that third line role where you're not necessarily getting the same type of time, can still be effective there. And I do think that's a, a benefit if you're because they don't have they don't have McDavid, they don't have you know the, the Crosby, they don't have like that super elite forward on this team. But if they can have a group of nine somewhat interchangeable, effective guys that you can move in and out if you need to. 
when I look at the Flames versus the Oilers, yeah, the Oilers clearly have got the the high end talent in you know if you do the the comparison of the check marks, like yeah, high end goes to the Oilers, McDavid and Drysaddle, they're going to win that battle. But I think the Flames are deeper and more balanced, and I think there's a benefit of that too. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing with uh, the lefties and the righties. Once the pucks drop, it's a fluid game, right? To the point where all they preach now to coaches in minor hockey is F1, F2, F3. It's not left wing, center, right wing. Yeah. It's it's positioning. It's like, who's after the puck? Okay, where are you going? And so I think there's a little bit of that that carries over as well, right? It's so, you know, I know Gulletson likes the left and the righties, maybe more so on the back end. Maybe less concerned about up front. Is that fair? In terms of defensemen versus... Yeah, like I know Gulletson really likes, we obviously know from the Brody experiment last year, that he really likes these left shots and right shots, yep. but a little less concerned about that at forward. Because we have seen guys play their off wing at forward. I mean, Froelich's right? done it forever. Yep. And, um, you know, and Furland obviously is there now. Versteeg started on the right side with Gaudreau yeah, and Monaghan last opposite, year. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so that flexibility is there. So who knows what will happen, but night one, if it's not what you want to see, it's just like the weather. Wait five games, yeah, <laughs> and it may change. Next up, we're talking bold predictions. I challenged Pat. I said, hey, Pat, give this some thought. Bold predictions. Oh, it's fun to do bold predictions. We're not going to squander away 45 minutes on it, but uh, maybe just see what, what Mr. Steinberg is thinking. I've got a handful as well. Maybe we'll alternate. You go first. Okay, so bold prediction number one would be... Which one do I want to start with? Okay, we'll start with the we'll start with a broad one. I think that we will be talking about the two Alberta teams being and this isn't super bold, but I think that we're talking about the two Alberta teams being the two best teams standings wise when it's all said and done in the Pacific. And I, I think San Jose is still good, and I think that they're going to be a playoff team, or at the very least in the playoff mix. The the reason why I think LA is on the fringe of yeah. being a playoff team, but I think that e- even if Kopitar has the bounce back season, that I think he will, and they've and they have Jonathan Quick the entire year. Their blue line is still so thin. Their forward depth drops off such a cliff after guys like Kopitar and Carter and Pearson and and uh, Tafoli. I think that Anaheim, with those injuries to start the season, they're missing Kessler, they're missing Lindholm, and they're missing Vatnin to start the year. Theodore's gone, so all of a sudden that Stoner's gone, and I know Stoner barely played last year, and he's not great to be begin with but their depth all of a sudden has taken a big time hit and I think that that will maybe play into Anaheim not being as good off the hop and if Calgary and Edmonton can make some hay because I think Calgary and Edmonton are the two teams that what who's one who's two still still to be determined but I think those are going to be your top two in the Pacific Division this year. So battling it out a little battle of Alberta standing wise will they both win in the first round will we see that long awaited playoff matches? Oh, the pause. The sigh. Yeah, I think we will. Just because I want to see it happen so bad. 1991, the last time that we've seen these two teams meet in the playoffs. That is insane. And the last time it was even a possibility 
like where it was right there for the taking was, I guess, last year. But the the year before that, last time was 2006, yeah. when in this very building, <laughs> the Flames put forward Late perhaps the worst game seven <laughs> performance in the history of hockey, uh, and and it could have been seven to nothing, but it went what, three nothing. Anaheim ended up winning that game seven, and it was so lopsided. But yes, I do think that they will meet in the playoffs this year. Very good. Okay, so what's yours? On the, uh, I'll piggyback on that a little bit because how will they be in contention for first in the division? Mike Smith will win thirty-five games this year. Pretty. So how many how many starts does he end up getting? Yeah, I think he's in between fifty-five and sixty. Uh, you know, he's going to go thirty-five, twenty-one, and something. Uh, seems doable. I know he's the guy. Like we saw it in the preseason, Eddie Lack. When's the last time we saw Eddie Lack take a take a puck? Right. Like this really feels like the keys have been given to Mike Smith. And um, if we had recorded this podcast a week ago, would I have been as bold? Uh, maybe, but. I really like Smith in that last game. He reminded he me of of what you want to see, what you expect to see from Mike Smith. That wingspan, he just looks large in the net. And when he's on tracking pucks, he how many how many did he catch around screens where he caught them routinely? It just looked like he was dialed in. I don't know how else to describe it. And just the the saves that he made that were the spectacular saves he made look routine. So. We don't know what Mike Smith is. I think it's really hard to know what he is given where he's come from and that kind of slop that he's been playing behind. Yep. He's 35. He's older, but this isn't about what Mike Smith will be three years from now. What about right now? What about this year? What about with this team? What about with that defense core? I think between 35 and 40 wins is possible, and it will be the first time Calgary's gotten number one goaltending from a guy since Kippersoff. Yep. Well, and the first time they've had a guy – play that type of workload yeah. since Kiprasov. And that it, the, the two things that I think Mike Smith will will bring to this team that they haven't had that I think will be an upgrade is A, the ability to play 55, 60, 65 games because they haven't had that since Kiprasov. And B, you know, you take a look at his splits over the last few years in Arizona. He does not have those crazy up and down. So yeah. he was a 914 goalie last year and he was basically 914 the entire season. Like it wasn't like October he was 970 and then November <laughs> he was 812. The Elliott like, roller coaster. Exactly. Well that and that's what we even Johnson had that roller coaster. Johnson had the incredible November December and then was pretty mediocre afterwards and it was way and and Elliott was awful then great then awful then unbelievable for 2 months <laughs> and then and then we saw what happened in the playoffs. Whereas with Smith I think it's a little more steady which I think just as a from a team perspective, you know you're able to be more confident with what yeah. what you've got in front of you, so or behind you rather. So I I don't think that's I don't think that's crazy at all. I think I think we could. Should I say forty? Does that make it bold? Forty makes it more bold. Okay, yeah. I'll say forty. Okay, I'm on for forty. Okay, I'll, I'll <laughs> piggyback off that. I think at some point we see whether it's injury, but I wonder if. I think at some point we see John Gillies as the backup goaltender here because I got to be honest with you, I am not feeling confident about Eddie Lack going into this season. I I think he is a great guy. He seems like he is awesome to have <laughs> as a member of the media. But I saw him in the tra- in training camp. I saw him in the preseason. I saw the last two years in Carolina. I don't know. I don't know if the, if, if I think at some point. Maybe it's a conditioning stint. Maybe maybe it's just a, a straight up move to the American League. It's not like he's making a ton of money. 
I wonder if it's some. I, I kind of think at some point in, in the second half of the season, John Gillies is the backup goaltender here. Okay, and I am going to take that a little bit of a different direction because okay. one of my bold predictions is David Riddich will have five wins by the end of the year. David Riddich will have yeah, five. Yeah, so hey? I think maybe he ends up being the guy that with lack doesn't. So get how it come Riddich? I just feel that he's a little bit older. Um, I think they they liked his year a little bit better than Gillies. If Riddich continues on that path, I mean, if you look at how the the playing time changed and evolved over the year last year in Stockton, if I think it was Christmas on, it was basically a 50-50 split. It was Gillies' gig, and Riddich wrestled it away. And if he continues to wrestle it away, and Riddich becomes the number one guy there or the more accounted-upon guy, I think then that's the guy that this team turns to if Lack's not getting it done. The only reason I lean towards Gillies over Riddich for this conversation is because of, I think, where the organization sees Gillies as a guy that they used a draft pick on, invested in. And I even look who got the first opportunity to play last year, right? Like Riddich got, what, a period and a half? Uh, in, in San Jose, in yep. and Gillies got sure. the start in Los Angeles, right? Sure. So I, I almost wonder if they, not because of merit, more so because of how the organization sees what they've invested, if maybe Gillies is, gets a little bit of a bump. But Riddich could just as easily be that guy. I, I guess my bold prediction would be Lack is not the backup goaltender <laughs> at some point this year. I, I feel awful saying that because I think he's such a nice guy, but like, he was not very good the last two years in Carolina. And, I mean, look, this is the guy that started game th- game one, two, and three, I think, of the series between the Flames and Canucks yeah. in 2015. It looked like he was going to be the guy in Vancouver for a while. And how much we saw, all we saw was his dad on television. Yeah. He was, like, one of the stories of that totally. series. Well, the, and the thing I would say about Lack, and, and I'm kind of with you, but I'm also in the I'm not sure zone because – how could we can't assess anything on the preseason? What did he, what did Lack get his playing time? He goes into McDavid and the Oilers, goes into Winnipeg with Line A. So you may be surprised to hear that Lack actually stopped thirty six of thirty nine even strength shots. And most of those goals were Line A lasers on the power play yeah. where basically every single penalty killer was back in Calgary. Yeah. So yeah, he, they had like a makeshift PK. So, with- so his top pairing in front of him in both his starts was Stone and either Bartkowski or Kulak. He didn't have any, like he, he was, he was there as an HL team in front of him playing an NHL team. So, I, I'm not about to throw up the white flag quite yet on Eddie Lack. And I think he, he's going to get his opportunity to show or, um, or go, but, Based on gut feel or recent history, you know, that's why both of us are kind of yeah. leaning towards it could be a backup eventually. I feel bad because I like Eddie, but and he seems like such a guy that you want in that locker room, but it just has not been good the last couple of years. Yeah, one more? Yeah, they're going to do one more. I think we see TJ Brody as the number two scorer on the blue line this year. I think it's going to be Dougie at like 55, and I think Brody's kind of in the 52. I think Brody, with Hamannick as his partner all year, I think we see him have a massive bounce back season. I think 20, 15, 20 points more this season from Brody than we saw last year. He's he's the guy that I think, as much as we're talking about Bennett, 
having kind of that that breakout season. I don't think it can be called a breakout season for Brody because he's had them before, yeah. but I think it's a bounce back year offensively for him because he had two plus years, two years straight with Gio as a 40 plus guy and then dropped back last year with his rotating door of partners. Like, I think yeah. you played a couple shifts with him yeah. last year. Like he was angling. Yeah, he was at his Wyoming. best when he was with me. <laughs> I think he was. He felt most comfortable <laughs> with you. You're nice and reliable. It wasn't until Stone got here that he was like, okay, I've got a guy that I know I'm going to be with every single shift he's a right shot so well Hamannick's a right shot they've played together all training camp it hasn't been Weidman it hasn't been Angeland you know I think if you're if you're Brody you're like I've got Travis Hamannick as a legitimate top four defenseman with me I, I think Brody from a five on five perspective and the fact he'll be on the number one power playing unit from day one I think you know in the 45 to 50 point range is very reasonable for Brody because I think he does not have a, a, a bomb of a shot no. But I think the way he distributes sure. on that number one power play unit, I think that he'll be the number two assist on a bunch of Monaghan and Gaudreau goals and stuff like that. So I, I'm looking for a big offensive season for Brody. And I, what I will say is we're already seeing that with Brody. I thought Brody's been strong, uh, especially the other night. You, just, you, you feel like the comfort level is already getting there with Hamannick. And Hamannick can move, too. That was the one thing. Even Gullitson said, I'm surprised. I had no idea he could skate as well as he could. That's going to give Brody that reassurance that if he jumps up in the rush, which is when he's at his best, being that dynamic player, someone's got his back. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Hamannick is going to be a really good foil for him. And and, and no no disrespect to Stone, but I think Hamannick's better than any partner Brody had last year. Certainly. By, by a significant margin. Certainly. And to wrap it up, uh, I'll go off the map a little bit, and I'm going to say by year end, Emil Poirier's gotten 25 games with this team. I'm still in on Emil Poirier, almost to the point where someone might take a gamble when they put him on waivers. I thought it was maybe a 50-50. The more I thought of it, well, then they've got to keep him in the NHL. Is he ready for that, given kind of his recent history? Is he ready for that pressure? I was thinking about Montreal. That's not what you want to do with this guy. He needs to go back and play now that he's free of kind of some of the demons, if you will. Yeah. Um, so he's in the right level right now. But if he can get back to the player he was two years ago, and if he can get back there pretty quickly, because he's an older guy now, I feel like he could put himself really near the top of the call-up list, and there could be opportunity. We've talked about the guys that are rotating around on that fourth line, so I think opportunity could knock for Emile Poirier, whether he forces his way into the pitcher or injuries create an opportunity once we get into December, January, as long as he goes down there and keeps on that same path and just gets back to, I mean, he scored a nice uh, shorthanded breakaway goal the other night. What a great first preseason game and all, but he wasn't doing anything those last couple of yeah. years, especially the last part. So, so that's a little uh, human interest story. You got to like that story. So I'll, I'll pull for that one as well, and we'll see if it pans out. All right, now it's time to have a little fun. I got a little over-under some questions for Pat, and we'll see which way he leans. Stick tap to Wes Gilbertson, who helped me compile some of these. Oh, on, nice. Uh, so Wes it, is in on this, Wes too. Wes is in on this. This was uh, on our way back from uh, Canmore the other day, and we collaborated on this. So the first one, Sam Bennett, 50 points, over or under? Under, but only by a little bit. I think he's in the 40 to 50 range this year. He had 26 last year, 36 as a rookie. So I think I'm in the 45-point range. So I will go under 50 for Bennett, but not by a, a big-time spread. You? 
I, he's close. Like, I think I told someone 55, and that was pre-Jaeger. I look at the, the third year that Ryan Johansson had. I know they're not the same player, but when you're that age, I know it takes a while to come along, but it can come pretty quickly, and you can ramp up pretty quickly. If he gets some power play time, which he hasn't been getting in the past, you know, Sam Bennett is a guy who I think could get up there. So I'm going to say over by a little bit, uh, maybe in that 52, 55 range, capitalizing on his power play time and just confidence that he hasn't had in the last couple of years. Well, and I think there's some other interesting comparables there because Ryan Johansson in his third year, but I, uh, Golchenyuk and, and the jump he had in year three, Nino Niederreiter had a big jump in year three. Uh, like there's some comparables there that when you get those first two years under your belt, you can make that jump. So I don't think it's crazy for him to be over, but I will go just slightly under. Okay. Johnny Gaudreau, 10th in league scoring, higher or lower? I will go higher. I think he'll be in the top 10. Okay. So because he used what, tied for six two years ago? Yeah. Got to stay healthy, and I think he will. I mean, really, the the broken finger was the only yeah. injury that's ever kept him out long term in his career. So I think history suggests that he'll be able to play seventy five plus again. I think we're talking about seventy five ish points for Gaudreau this year. He's got the skills. I mean, they were there two years ago. There's yeah. no reason he can't get to that point and get higher, especially if the power play is moving as it moved over the last you know four or five months. It was very good. What, top five in the league probably yep. over the last 65 games of last year? Everything should be there, though, and whether it's Monaghan feeding him, whether it's Bennett feeding him like we, we talked about, who knows how the configurations go, but if he's driven, and I don't doubt that he is, he is very competitive. We know how competitive he is, and I think there's a lot of pride when he finished in that top 10. Yeah, he, he was injured, but the totals weren't where anyone expected them to be last year and uh, you know he wants to get those totals back up because those offensive players like the yeah. they like the numbers yeah and and I mean because he's going to be healthy and because kind of everybody thinks this team is going to be able to get off to a better start a big reason why they did not get off to a great start last year was because Gaudreau wasn't very good for the first little while there because he was coming off of a contract negotiation and missed all the training camp in the preseason that's not a factor this year so I think with him being ready to start the season, I think that we don't see in October where his point totals are way down. I think that he's ready to hit the ground running come the start of the season. And have you picked up on this yet? Someone mentioned this to me the other day. They said they think he's got more snap in his shot. He's been in the gym more than he has before. He's put on a little bit more muscle in that area. They thought his shot's more dangerous. Have you picked up on that yet? Not yet, but if that's the case, I mean, it's not like he's had a bad shot, but he doesn't have the same type of zip that other guys have on it. If that's the case, that could absolutely boost those goal totals up a little. Okay, Mark Jankowski, 40 NHL games. Over. Even if he doesn't start the season, because as we're taping this right now, we don't know whether or not he's starting the season on the roster or not. But even if he starts and, and spends some October, November time in the American League, I think even before Christmas he's up and playing a regular shift. So I, I will go over that for, for Jankowski. Yeah, it feels like they'll find room for him. He's done everything he could. If he doesn't start here, which I think is quite a possibility, or maybe when the Jaeger move happens, that by the time you're listening to this, Jankowski might be back in Stockton, but I don't think he should be unpacking everything and using all the drawers in his room, just maybe uh, some of them, because it feels a little bit like the Josh Juris a couple years ago, where, That's right. where Juris took it right to the finish, and oh, 
I didn't make it. He was so good, and he was down for a week. And That's right, because he got up, called right back up. And never went back down yeah. again, right? So will it be that quickly? I mean, I can't even remember the circumstances with the jurist, but Jankowski is showing. We know the coach likes him. How can you not like everything he brings to the position, the size? So we'll just see how the season goes. There's going to be, as you said, there's going to be twists and turns, and I think he's going to, if he's not here to start, he's certainly near the top of the list, if not at the top of the call-up list. How many D partners will Michael Stone have over the course of the year? Three is the number. I will go under. I think we're going to see him with Bartkowski and Kulak, and I think at some point Kulak is going to win the job as the number. Not, Not right away. But I think at some point Kulak's going to win the job as the number six guy and be there all for the for the most part all year long with Stone. I, I think at some point that's going to happen. If it's by November, if it's mid October, I don't know exactly when. I don't think the number six spot is that important that you need to really spend too much time worrying about it or have it keep you up at night. So I think it'll start Bartkowski. And there'll be maybe some rotation throughout the year, but I think it'll be Barkowski and Kulak throughout the year as the number six guy. This is where it's a bit of a trick question, because what if Hamannick gets hurt? Oh, oh, and then Stone bumps then Stone up. Bumps up. And then all of a sudden, Brody's his third. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. You did. You tricked me on that one. Because you're right. If somebody gets hurt, or, or what if Hamilton that, gets hurt? Because that's really, that's why Stone is here, right? Because Hamannick hasn't got over 70 games in the yeah. last two or three seasons. I think he's kind of had that knack that's probably the wrong word but he has that tendency to get hurt at some point right so i think that's why you have that pretty expensive insurance policy but it is what it is you have stone in there so yeah i think stone's the guy that's gonna move up if there's an injury and Touché. decide see if i could trick you and i did yeah. one for Haynes. good job <laughs> that was well done okay team point toll at year end 98 over uh, at our bold prediction segment we talked about, and the first one we talked about was the Oilers and the Flames being one, two in some form or another. And I think to do that, you're going to need to be triple digits in points. And, and we mentioned Wes a little earlier in his, in his chat with, with Gullitson, uh, in early September, I think That's it right. was. Gullitson said, I mean, we had 98 last year, whatever it was. So why would it be crazy to think we could be into the, into the 100 point range? So I think triple digits is, is a fair expectation. So I'll go over 98 points for them. Okay. And I'm with you. I think uh, 99. And I, I, you know, to that point, I mentioned this before and I haven't changed my mind. I feel flames, oilers, ducks are within five points at the end of the season. Where do the sharks fit? The Sharks are just a little further back for me. I just, there's something, and I know Marlowe wasn't the, the straw that stirs the drink there necessarily, but I think that will be felt. And I don't think they've really replaced that. And That was 27 goals last year. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like they've dropped off a little bit. Not that they're going to be that far down, and all these teams are going to beat up on kind of the others in the division. There's some there's some points available with Vegas and Vancouver and whatnot, but I, I believe, uh, and I, I like the Sharks better than the Kings. I still feel the Kings yeah. are, are are falling off a little bit, and they've got some work to do. How many fourth-line configurations will we see? <laughs> I'm going to set the over-under at six. Oh, I'm going over. <laughs> I'm going, Because with injuries, and you already tricked me on the three defensemen with Stone, I think that we will see Stajan on the wing. I think we will see Stajan at center. I think we'll see Jankowski at center. I think Hathaway will get some time there. You know, we already talked about Poirier. I think there will be far more. Uh, Brower, sure. I think is. I, I think Brower is going to sit a few times this year. Yeah. Uh, I think there's going to be 
all kinds of permutations there. I think that Lomberg will get a call up at some point and play four or five games. I think Manjapani might. Did I say uh, six? I meant 16. (laughs) (laughs) Even 16, I might go over. Yeah, that is actually, it's funny. I I was thinking about it and I didn't even think about the injuries and the call ups. Yeah, so that certainly bumps that number up. But that's where opportunity is, as is right now. The top nine is solidified, and that's where opportunity is. It's going to be a job fair all year. And as guys move up, you know, guys get hurt, that fourth line is going to – I think I might go over on the 16, yeah. actually. Games for Michael Furland on the top line, 25. Over. I think that he's going to spend a good chunk of the season as their right winger with Monaghan and Gaudreau. I really like Furland. I think he doesn't get as much credit as he deserves for being like a really smart, intelligent player out there. I think that has come leaps and bounds in the way he thinks the game. I think he's got a really good shot. I think he skates decently well, and he's taken huge strides in that regard. We all know about the physical side of his game, too. I think Furland's in line for a, a really nice season. I think he had 15 goals last year. I think he can get there again and maybe even get into the 20, between 20 and 25 range. I think that 40 points is a nice kind of range for him too. Yeah, I, I think Furland plays a good chunk of the season with them. And so I'll go over on 25. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. And, and Bob, that was always Bob Hartley's thing. You know, we know how much Bob loved Furland and that uh, was always his guy. And he always talked about that hockey IQ. He is more skilled than you expect just because of, you know, the reputation he had coming out of junior. You know, a tough guy, a feared guy, but, but Furland has, like, he can dangle a little bit. Yeah. He's got the shot. He's got the elements. It should work. Remember that year where we saw it, then we didn't, then they tried again, then they didn't, you know, but it feels like sometimes you just need to let them go and yeah. let them click. And that chemistry, if it carries over, should be something that uh, lasts for a while. Matthew Kachuk, 20 goals. What did he have last year? I think he had 12. Yeah, I think there was something in that range. Lots of assists. Like, he was primary. Like, I, I was, wow. Had a whole new appreciation for his setup game and his playmaking game. I will go under on 20 goals. Not because I don't think he's a good player. I just think that line's offense might take a step back this year because they're still going to be taking on all that yeah, defensive responsibility. I'll go under 20. Not, I, I don't think he's going to get six. I think he'll be double digits easily again, but I'll go under 20 goals for Kachuk. Yeah, I'm with you there. Maybe kind of 18, 19. He'll, he'll st- step up from the dozen last year, probably somewhere between that 16 and 20 range. Healthy scratches for Troy Brower. I'll set the number at four. I will go over. We already talked about the fourth line and, and all the different permutations we might see. I think Brower will see some time as a healthy scratch this year. You know, I don't think it's going to be 40 games, but I think, you know, 9, 10 games, I think we could see him sit. I mean, he just, he was not really effective last year, has not looked good in the preseason. And I think that, you know, certain teams, like fast teams, you know, if you're playing teams with like really good fourth lines and speedy skating fourth lines, I feel like those might be the instances where you might see Brower sit. Can, can you take a guy wearing a letter, sit him that, that often? I think so. I think you can. And it'll be on Brower to go at it with the right approach and still be that leader and, and, you know, live up to the fact that he's wearing an A on his shoulders. So, but yeah, I'll go over four. I hear what you're saying. And I also know the coach has got a lot of trust in him. But yeah, I'll go over. Okay. I'm going under. And yeah. I'm wondering when's the last time that much money sat in the press box? Weidman, a couple times. Yeah. 
Stajan a few times when Hartley was here. Stajan sat, but Stajan's three and a bit. It feels like a lot less than that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, we are talking about four and a half for per hour. I mean, that's a lot of money to put in the press box. But it's um, you, what, what was Bob's famous line about that? I'm not a banker. Yeah. I'm a coach, not a banker. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I think maybe sometimes GMs are in coaches' ears more than uh, the coaches will let on. Yeah. Some of those decisions, and sometimes the owners in the ear of the GM who's in the ear. Of you the can't coach. be sitting our guy that we're paying four and a half million dollars. So there's yeah. probably a lot that goes on behind the scenes that we'd love to know more about. But uh, fair enough. All right, that's our over under. The finality of the roster is kind of known at this point, but there's going to be injuries. And so what I thought it would be kind of interesting to do is is what how could that shape things and, and who could be the benefactors if different guys go down? And this is basically a chance to kind of look back on what we've seen over September, going back to Penticton, I guess, where some of these guys started making impressions or not. Let's say Johnny Gaudreau does get hurt game Two against Winnipeg. You lose your top line left winger. Who gets the call from Stockton? So assuming that they would then move, say, I don't know. Yeah, uh, so what, what do you, what's the shuffle that you see then? So let's say they bump Bennett to the right side of that line. Jankowski moves into number three center. Because that's what they did when that was last year when Goudreau got hurt. Bennett got it that call. Was, yeah. Bennett. So assuming that that happens again, Jankowski moves into his number three center then I think that the first guys to get calls would be the ones that they are more familiar with. So I think the the guy who would lead the pack in that regard would be Hathaway. I think he's the guy that they you know, Gullitson is most familiar with, is comfortable with, was not afraid playing him last year. So I would say Hathaway or would Jankowski. get the first recall. You mentioned Jankowski is the guy that fills for Bennett. And maybe he's a recall for that, but I'm assuming he's already on okay, the team. Okay. So if he's already on the team, then I think Hathaway would be the first recall in that situation. If and when they get deeper into recalls and, and there's multiple guys sitting out games because of injury, which, I mean, is more than a possibility. It, it almost likely will happen a number of times this year. That's where I think it gets interesting because I don't know if there is a guy that is an immediate uh, – Hathaway's the guy that's like, okay, he's there, he's yeah, familiar. He's got the NHL experience. Yeah, that kind of feels like I always thought, you know, what is Garnet Hathaway? I thought he's a, he's a fourth-line NHLer, but now I'm thinking he's a next-in-line, reliable fill-in NHLer. And maybe that speaks to the depth of the team. Maybe yeah. he is a fourth-line when the team is you know, missing the playoffs and drafting sixth overall. But as the team's gotten better, the depth you want to get better at the same time. And maybe that is just what Gordon Hathaway is always going to be, is kind of on that fringe, but someone that um, – because you know how much he's liked by Ryan Huska down there. Oh, for they, sure. They, they they like the guy. They they trust the guy. He's he's not someone that um, you you are fearful of. You just plug him in. You know what you're going to get. There's no surprises there. So feels like that in a shuffle could make sense. What about on the blue line? So let's say uh, Travis Hammack does get injured. You know, I think that's a realistic possibility. What do they do on the blue line? That one seems really easy to me because I think I think they would have liked to keep Anderson here if they could. I think Anderson slots in immediately, especially if it's one of the right shot guys who goes down. Yeah, because I think mean, easy shuffle is if it's if it's Hamilton, Hammonick, or Stone who goes down. 
you move Anderson into the third pairing and somebody moves up if they have to, or if it's Stone who gets hurt, then you just move Anderson in there. So I think if it's a right shot guy, then the, the immediate guy is Anderson. And if it's a left shot guy, I still wonder if maybe it's, it's Anderson who gets the recall just to be that number seven guy. It, say that it's Giordano who goes down, okay. well, then you move Brody up and maybe you have to move Kulak up. Losing one of their left shot guys, I think, is a little bit more detrimental just because they're not as deep. I mean, yeah. you've got Hamilton, Hamannick, and Stone as your right defenders, whereas you've got Brody and Giordano, and then it's you don't have that third clear. So I think that's when you're going to maybe put somebody a little bit more in out of their comfort zone, uh, whether it's a Bartkowski or a Kulak or whoever it might be. That's when I still think maybe Anderson would be the recall, but... And then you're moving, so left side, if they lose Brody or Giordano, you're moving Stone up and they're doing two righties at some point in the top No, I, are you I, keeping I, Stone on the third I pair? think I might have to keep Stone really? on the third pair. So you're going to elevate Barkowski as we speak as kind of the, the, the if he's the third pair it would be Kulak. It would be Kulak for me that you would elevate. I think he's more. So I, you'd go from seventh D to. I'm a big Kulak <laughs> fan, so I'm a little, I'm a little biased on this one, but unless they made a trade, I don't know if they have another choice. Unless they want to play two righties together, but how often do you see that? I mean, you see two lefties together, but two righties is but tough. But that feels like if you're paying Stone three and a half and you lose a top four to then take the guy in the press box and put him in the top four over your three and a half million insurance it, policy, it feels like a lot. Maybe. I just think they, I just feel like Glenn would be but when pretty reticent to go with two right defenders. And maybe he would. Maybe yeah. he would, in which case, you know, my theory's blown right out of the water. No, but it, it is uh, it is fair. And maybe when this happens, Kulak is back to being the player that we all saw last year when I thought he was up for good. Like, I, I, I did too. Right? So I haven't seen that guy in September. And I'm not sure what happened, whether he put a little too much pressure on himself or, or not enough. Maybe he thought the job was his and he lost to lose in which case he's lost it. Um, but I feel like the player that we saw is still there underneath some of the drag we saw in September. And if he can just kind of find it again, I think those flip-flop. And now Kulak's playing as a young guy, Barkowski sitting as an older guy. And that's, and that's ideal. And that's yeah. ideal. Yeah. And then, so yeah, you lose someone on the right side. That's where Barkowski continues to sit and Rasmus Anderson goes from playing every day in Stockton to, to playing or to, to playing every yeah, day in yeah, Calgary. Absolutely, for sure. And, and that's where I think, you know, a scenario where Anderson comes in and sits, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I would think that you hope that the team's in a situation where Anderson could come in and step right in and keep playing because he's not, he's, he's not of the age you want him sitting. I know they did that last year. And I think for a shorter period, it's probably okay. But ultimately, if he can play top pairing, be on the power play, be on the PK, you know, all that stuff, those are still good. This is only year two yeah. of a pro. Yeah. On the Anderson front, it was a bit of a head scratcher to see them do that last year. Because remember, he was he Completely. sat for like 10 or 11 games last year when he was up here. Yeah. It was really strange. And I remember Rob and I talking about it. You're like, what? why is he sitting? Why isn't he – like, do they need – I think they were carrying eight at the time. You're like, well, why is he here? Why is he not – I hope that we see a good chunk of Anderson play. I hope that we get like 25 NHL games from him this year. And I mean, hope is the wrong word because that 
probably means somebody else Someone's gets hurt. hurt. But I just think it would be cool to see him with some extended time this year. Yeah, yeah. And I talked to Anderson about that because I was curious. Like, I asked him, what was the communication as you went through that? Were you, like, showing up every morning, ex- hoping to get in? And, but I think he kind of understood what was going on. There were veterans. The team was winning. They are pushing for a playoffs. The thing that he kind of had a, a chuckle about is it was at a point in the schedule, that checkerboard where they were playing every other That's right. night. That's right. And so – with all the optionals mixed in there, he said it was him, Freddie, and Curtis Lazar every time on the ice. They were the three guys going out for the skate. They and knew every – yeah, well, we're skating. No option for us. Um, I The other thing that I, I gleaned out of that, and I didn't really know how this worked, and you might, uh, but for the benefit of listeners, because he took the warm-up a lot. I saw him take a lot, but I wasn't sure on the on-road games. They tell you if you're taking the warm-up or not. I thought maybe it was optional. If you want to throw on your gear and go out there for the warm-up, you can. But no, this the coach will say, you know, pick a D and pick a forward just in case. Have one each extra just in case. And I, I wasn't aware of that. So I thought maybe he was just like super gung-ho. It was more a case of a directive to... Just so in he, case somebody tweaks something yeah. or doesn't feel like they can go. Or, yeah. So there is. Yeah. So he said almost maybe there was two games that he didn't take the warm-up. But other than that, he was always asked to take the warm-up just huh. in case. Interesting. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, um, the last one I was going to ask you about, but we've already broached it, was what if Mike Smith gets injured? I think let's, but let's, I'm going to handle this a little differently. Let's say Mike Smith gets injured game three in Anaheim. So the Stockton season has barely gotten going. Are they going to Gillies? Are they going to Redditch? I think Gillies would be the first choice. But it might turn out to be that if he doesn't work out, that it won't be that. Like if, if Gillies struggled i don't think they would give him a long leash i think it would be like okay now we're going to riddich like you you we're giving you the first shot you're the guy we drafted we've got you know we've got the the larger investment in you but if it doesn't work then i think they go it's not working david you're in because i think they've got in terms of confidence in the two and they've got fairly equal amounts of confidence in, in gillies and riddich i just think because gillies was the pick and they've spent more time developing him he might get that shot first. Again, to what we talked about earlier, similar to last year when yeah. it was th- they, they gave Gillies the start and Riddich didn't get that start. And I think that was almost all a product of the fact that Gillies is the drafted, developed member of the organization. Yeah, there's, Riddich has only been here for a year, right? You read into that stuff, and, and that's where nothing has ever been good signals for Mason McDonald, even in the second preseason game for Stockton. Tyler Parsons got two periods. Mason McDonald was the third guy in. And Penticton last year, Mason McDonald was the last guy to get a start. Like, that's that's kind of part of the fun, is you know there's a bit of a, uh, not seniority, but... It's uh, like an internal depth chart, yeah, right? Yeah, you kind of, there's a little bit of a reward program there, where the guy that's get that first start or plays for longer, yeah. generally the guy in, in a higher stead at that moment. So, I wonder if... So, let's say, just to, to finish off that point if smith gets hurt are you bringing gillies up to play or to back up lack i think lack would get the first choice yeah he'll get but it. if he can't if he can't not carry a long it, leash i don't think anybody has a long leash yeah. when, if and when smith gets hurt probably if at this point i think yeah. he's gonna be healthy this year but yeah. i think that nobody gets a long leash the lacks the guy he was the guy we brought him to be our backup we got confidence in him give him a couple starts doesn't work out we're going right to gillies or we're going right to to riddich i don't think anybody's getting a long leash because they got to find somebody who can win you know and they got to find if, if it's a long-term injury they also have to figure out okay Lack isn't working. We tried Gillies. It didn't work. 
we're not going to even go to Riddich or we, we got to go find somebody. Like they have they to know to right know away. What they have. Exactly. Especially for next year. Cause Lack's got one year left. That feels like the, everyone's all nervous about Tyler Parsons. Well, look, let him start in the ECHL. He could be in the AHL by November, right? If, if there's a shuffle of bodies, oh, absolutely. right? If Lack ends up, you know, whatever, right? So, so there's opportunity and it's not that far away for all these guys. Absolutely. Like, so Riddich, Gillies, one of those two guys I fully expect will be sitting on that bench next year, uh, behind Smith and maybe even starting. Yep. Who knows, right? So opportunity is not far away. Okay, we'll wrap up with a Q&A um, as the pucks. So we hear the pucks, uh, the practice is going to be starting shortly. It's going to get really noisy, but it does sound like a hockey podcast at this point with the pucks Absolutely. rattling off the board. What I You've peeked over. Who's, what's going on down there? So we've got uh, Jordan Sigalette, the goaltending coach, firing some pucks at Eddie Lack right now. So okay. Lack's the only guy any? out there. I think he might have stopped a few. <laughs> Do you want to re-record that segment? He's got two saves in a row. He's, and he's listening from, I heard what you said. I'm not going to, I'm stopping every puck now. <laughs> Smith will be out there shortly, and then uh, the rest of the group will be out there pretty quickly too. Okay, on with the question and answer. You guys were kind enough to submit questions because of when I asked for questions. 90% of them had to do with Yarmouth Jaeger. <laughs> but we've added to the mix a little bit recently, so we do have some variety. We've talked Jaeger already, so if you send in a question about Jaeger, you're welcome. Your question's already being answered. Okay, this is a question from Jesse. Pat's a huge advanced stats guy. I'm, I'm emphasizing that. He didn't really say that. Okay. Uh, my question is this. Where do hits and blocks stack up? Um... I don't pay as, I mean, blocks to me are interesting because I do think there's a skill to blocking shots. I really do. And like, for instance, the Chris Russell conversation, and I know they're still having it in Edmonton and we had it here. Chris Russell conversation is fascinating because I do think Chris Russell is a skilled shot blocker and one of the best in the National Hockey League, but it's a skill that you don't necessarily want to utilize all the time. So I, what I what I find Carlson was was an interesting case study last year. I think Carlson was close to, if not led, the mm-hmm. league in block shots last year. But he also had stupid high possession numbers. Yeah. So so that's what I think that I think it all had. And with anything in advanced stats or any other stat, I think it all is context to put yeah. too much into one stat and say, well, he's got X amount of blocks or his possession is this or what. Like you you can't. You have to combine it with other stats. Yeah, like what if all his block shots came on the penalty kill? Exactly. Yeah, he was in his own end. Yes, because they have less players. And you don't <laughs> count possession on the penalty kill because, of course, the power play time is going to have 95% yeah. of the possession on, on a power play. So – so context and and I always feel when talking about because what I hate the most you know what I hate I hate the most when people either completely throw out the eye test and yeah. say well I know because what the numbers tell me it was like well it's not always that simple you have to then apply that to what you see on the ice and say okay well how is that player getting that done I look at Backlund for instance 
Backlund's been an advanced stats darling for the last, you know, better part of a half decade. And you watch him on the ice and you can see why. The way he exits the zone, the way that he chips pucks to, to make sure that he's not in his defensive zone for long, and then the way he cycles, that's why his numbers are the way they are. And he does not get crazy high offensive zone starts to go along with it. Whereas other guys have got great possession numbers, but it's because the coaching staff does not feel that they are any good in their own zone, so they have to shelter him. And that's the way they spend all their time in the offensive zone. So I, I think the eye test is still a massively valuable tool. And on the other hand, you can't only look with your eye. I find like that to be almost arrogant to be like, well, my eye not like, I don't think I know the game well enough to be like, my eye is so trained that I, I know what There's I'm so seeing. So many that. moving parts. Exactly. And I mean, even coaches don't rely just on their eye. And I'm, I don't have the hockey brain of a coach. So, I mean, I'm like, yeah, I think that player is good. And I, I liked him today, but I always like to correlate it and see what the numbers show. And the, so I think, I think you need to have them both together. And so, yeah, I, do I look at advanced stats? Absolutely. But they definitely are not the be all and end all for me. Just a quick point on hits. It's not something that necessarily wins you the game because again, similar to block shots, if you're hitting them, it's because you don't have the puck you don't skate around with the puck hitting guys yeah you, you're hitting guys that <laughs> don't have the puck but i will say for some of the the fourth line players that is some of the metrics that you're going to see how are they impacting a game a guy like tanner glass i think he had eight hits in the vancouver other night, right yeah. hits does contribute i mean you remember michael ferlin in the playoffs and how many times did he he wore down those vancouver connects defensemen to the point when that puck went in that corner it was off their stick like a hand grenade they were cowering almost right and then lucas Sabiza specifically (laughs) so so that's how those guys and it's it's a measurement of how often they're hitting but that's some value that they can bring they're not contributing offensively but if you can go and punish the other team's defense there are some attributes and some qualities to the overall success of a team that that those fourth liners can get and sometimes that's a category where you might see them at least pop a little bit yep okay zach is asking what's the plan with parsons gillies and riddich is the echl a real step up for parsons i think that's debatable i really think as an organization you want to and this sounds disparaging but it's not i just with some of the players that play in the ECHL, I think a lot of times, I don't think it's the same for goalies, but I think a lot of times if you can avoid putting your top prospects in the ECHL, it's the way to go. Some of your prospects, sure, but your top end ones, of which Parsons is one, I think you want to avoid it. Now, I think it's a little bit different with a goalie because Absolutely. because it's not quite the same. There is some pretty high-end goonery in the ECHL, and you get guys with 350 penalty minutes on each team. And, and yeah. I mean, It's a different, and it's not your development isn't the same. You're not talking about dedicated goaltending coaches. A lot of times you've only got two coaches on teams. So I think that it, it is sometimes a route to avoid. With Parsons and a goalie specifically, I think it's less of an issue. But I still think if you can... If you can get Parsons to the American League at some point this year, whether it's loaning a goalie, trading a goalie, I think it's something that that would be beneficial for him. But I don't think you do it just for the sake of doing it. I think you can have Parsons in the ECHL for most of this year. And because the Flames have pretty direct control over Kansas City this year, 
I think they don't. I don't believe they own them the same way they owned Adirondack. But they can probably influence exactly. Yeah. So I don't think it's as detrimental as it would be. You wouldn't want Valimaki playing in the ECHL no. or or one of your top end skaters. But if it's Parsons, I think you can get around. And it's also <clears throat> we've got to remember that this is one year at the most. And and I would be surprised if Parsons is in via injury via whatever isn't in the HL sooner than later. Um, I think if it, at the most it's one year and if he does spend a year playing all the time, which is why goalies, it's okay in the ECHL. Devin Dubnik did that. Jonathan Quick did that. There's yep. a long list of goaltenders that are good goaltenders in the NHL today that spent one full season in the ECHL. As you're a, if you're a forward, that's bad news. Yep. If you're a defenseman, that's bad news. The other thing that you can do when he's out and he's pro and he's under your watch is now you can coach him. Now Jordan Siegelet can work with him a lot more. You're not going through his junior team. So you have a little bit more. You can implement your development plan. And I think uh, you want to do that. Nothing. I mean, I'm sure the London Knights have a great goaltending coach, but... I think a change, a different level. You'll hear, you, you do hear bad stories. I don't know about goaltender, but you do hear bad stories about guys that go back and because right. you know you get a little. It, that level is you've been there, you've conquered at that level. Bad habits, that stuff can form. So I think ECHL is fine, and don't look at it as punishment. Look at it as a chance for him to get reps. And again, sooner than later, he's going to be in the AHL for sure next year, if not, uh, you know, later this year. Okay, Kent is saying he may not have the speed he once had, but puck possession in corners and along the boards comes with the 1,700 NHL games. If anyone thinks Ferlin is the answer in the top line with Johnny and Monty, that's ridiculous. He's lobbying for Jaeger on that top line right out of the gate. It's going to happen at some point, whether it be injury, as we talked about earlier, whether it's a shakeup, whether it's an injury, whether it's they just the other line combinations aren't working. I am almost 100% certain that at some point this year, number 68 is playing with Monaghan and Gaudreau. Now, when that is, I don't think it's at the beginning of the season. But yeah. at some point, I think it's going to happen. And then we'll see. Year. And then we'll see. Maybe it does end up working exactly as swimmingly as, as Ken thinks it will. But I, I don't think it's going to be right away. I think it's going to take a little while for them to get there. Okay. Jeffrey says, Curtis Lazar, dot, dot, dot. Has he showed any skill in practice that suggests he is an NHLer? An interesting last year, but who boy, that second rounder. It's I think that there still is something there. I don't know if it's gonna happen right away. I think it might It's a long way back here. I feel like isn't he the nicest guy in the world? Yeah. Like, and don't you want him to succeed? I think you in Ottawa, even in Ottawa, GM Pierre, Pierre Dorian has said they probably should have stuck Lazar in the minors. They didn't really bring him along properly, and I think everyone will agree to that. And as a result of not bringing him along properly, I think he's kind of been over his head, not in the right situation, not getting the proper minutes, playing fourth line when he should have been playing top line or second line in the AHL. This is a a hole that they're trying to dig out of. Will they be able to get him back to the player they thought he would be? The team obviously thinks so. That's why they went and acquired him. They they liked the player. They really felt that they can get him 
reclaimed, if you will. But I'm with you. This is not... Don't expect that Curtis Lazar that they're envisioning October 15th, November 15th. This could be a work in progress throughout the year. And I and I wonder if he like, – I don't think if, we're ever talking about him being a top six Right, guy. and maybe I, he won't even get may, there. Bottom six might be yeah. what – and look, it can be so hard to project how a guy develops. And sometimes guys just flatten out in terms of their development. And I wonder if we're seeing that a little bit for Lazar, maybe earlier than teams like Ottawa and Calgary had envisioned. But I do think he can be, at some point, a decent regular forward. I just don't think he's ever going to be a high-impact regular forward in this league. Evan Crawshaw. Do you know Evan? I do know Evan. (laughs) Evan is asking, uh, who is your favorite Calgary Flames usher? Well... I, it's tough, Evan. It's either you or Doris. Doris is right there with you. But I, I will say, uh, just because I don't know if Doris is listening right now, I will say Evan is the number one, <laughs> the number one usher at the Scotia Bank Saddledome. Arguably, I'll add. Dor- Doris, Doris is pretty darn, pretty darn good, and she's a classic. She's a legend. So it's tough. But I'll go Evan just because I know Evan's listening right now. What about Dan Peterson? Wheels. Oh. Right, there's Dan, and then there's I mean there's there's some solid. I, I love Danny P. Um, I believe Cody's solid. Uh, there's some really good ushers, like top nine. Top, yeah, top nine, top Lar- six. Larissa, I I, I love Larissa. Um, <laughs> there's some good ushers, some good ushers. But just because I know for sure that Evan's the one listening, I'm gonna pander to the audience. And these ushers definitely beat Edmonton's ushers. Oh, any day of the week. Any day. Even though they've got their new building, I'd still take Saddledome Ushers any day of the week over Edmonton. Sean's asking, what's the deal with Freddie Hamilton? I think there's a little bit of a package deal going on with Dougie. I definitely think that. But I also think he's fine as a 13-14 yeah. forward. Right? You can put him into the press box. And not worry about his development. When he gets in, it's not like he has a big-time learning curve. I don't mind him as a 13th, 14th forward right now. And I, I thought he played just fine when he was in last year. But he's not necessarily the guy that you want in all the time. So, that's how I would answer what's the deal with Freddie Hamilton. He's, he's as, a, as an extra forward, he's fine. As an everyday winger... I don't think he's ideal. Yeah, it's again one of those guys. The coach trusts him. They know what you're going to get from him. And yet, he's not... If there's a major injury, and we kind of talk about injuries, it's quite likely maybe someone comes from the minors and goes over top of him and plays, and Freddie Hamilton continues to be the guy that is the extra forward. That's just kind of... Teams need that. They need that protection. And uh, he's in his last year of his deal. We'll see what happens after that. But might be a bit of a package deal going on. I, well. I think there's a little bit of that. And I mean... And you got and you got a really good Dougie Hamilton the way it's going. Exactly. So do you want to mess with that? Exactly. Okay, we'll wrap it up. Any chance of a Troy Brower buyout? Which it would have to be next year. So you're talking now two years left, so they're paying it out over For four, four years, years, and it's still a decent chunk of money that you would be? I think there's a chance, but I would say a minimal chance. I think going into his final year, I think there's a bigger chance where it's only a two-year, like you're doubling one to two. That's a whole. So basically, it would turn into a five-year deal for Brower instead of a four-year deal. 
I think that's realistic, especially yeah. if Broward does not show anything. I think we're talking about this season and next year he's still playing though. Yeah. Because I just I don't think even if it is a minimal cap hit, I don't think they want that top four the, the, the that that cap hit on the on the cap for four years. So I would say minimal chance that we see a buyout in the next year for Broward. Yeah, what you would rather do if you're the team, if you have if you find yourself with the depth and you have the ability to move him that would be better, even if you have to retain half, because it's only for the duration of the contract. So why buy him out and then pay that amount over several years? If you can trade years? him, and yeah. Then, yeah, exactly. So, so retain half. Uh, is there a market for Troy Brower at two point two five million? You know, if he can find his game a little bit this year, you know, he was a guy that scored. He averaged 20 goals a year for seven years. So I believe we're going to see some sort of bounce back. I'm not sure what that bounce back is, but is there enough there that they can then find a suitor for him? That's probably the preferred route over a buyout. Agreed 100%. And and how realistic that is, that's another story. But I think that's absolutely the, the way they'd like to go about it. Okay, so we're going to wrap up. There's a few other questions, but that's okay. We can't get to everything. Pat's got places to be. It's getting really noisy here. <laughs> We've got a practice to watch. We do. This is this is part of the perks of the business, watching practice. Um, thank you, Pat. We're, uh, for those who I can't imagine, there's a single person out there, but if they don't know where to find you, where will people find you? On Twitter, at Fan960Steinberg, uh, and uh, sportsnet.ca slash 960 for uh, game day reports and all that type of stuff. And, of course, on the radio, Sportsnet 960, 960 on your AM dial, as we like to say. And um, any time on a game day between 1 p.m. and 1 a.m., you can usually <laughs> find me on your, on your radio dial. So those would be the best places to find me if you enjoyed my contribution to the Flames at 80 decibels. And if they want to talk to you, just call overtime. And the phone lines, as you know, Hainsy, are always open. Always open. Um, it should be a good season. I think it's going to be fun. This, uh, As you said, if Calgary Edmonton do end up dueling, like even just that, never mind the playoff series, just to have them both competitive, that's pretty rare. We haven't seen much of that at all. Last year, finally, I think that was just wet in the whistle. Yep, I think that... I think we're close to a Battle of Alberta playoff series. I think we're close to these two teams fighting for you know top of the division status. And I think it's going to be a fun season. I think this is the the high, and, I, and my expectations are usually you know kept pretty low. I try to keep them low. Uh, my expectations are pretty high for this group this year. I think they're going to. It will be not just a disappointment. It'll be a failure if they miss the playoffs. And I think this team, the expectation should be to win at least a round this year. All right. Thanks, Pat. We'll do it again. That was fun, Hainsey. It's good that we can finally make it work. (laughs) 